is God with you? Of course God's with me. The Bible says he's with me. But yet, if we really believed that he was always with us, would we ever fear? Would we ever stress? I teach often and say often that if next time you're stressed or fearful, ask God to show you what lie are you believing about him. Welcome to First Person, a weekly interview program. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and our guest now is author and teacher Jeannie Nigro. Thanks for joining us today. It's always great to get your feedback and what you hear, so please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. You can leave your comments there and learn just a bit more about this program and our guests. Or use our webpage for that purpose, where you can also browse the archive of past programs and listen right there online. Go to firstpersoninterview.com. This weekly visit is made possible through the Far East Broadcasting Company, which loves to have stories of God working in people's lives told. FEBC has a few stories of their own, and you can learn more about them when you click on the FEBC banner found at firstpersoninterview.com. If you missed last week's conversation about Korea with Ed Cannon, it's in the archive at firstpersoninterview.com. Now, today's guest, Jeannie Nigro, has written a new book to be released this coming week titled Unshaken, Standing Strong in Uncertain Times. And we talked about it when we visited together in Dallas. I I sometimes ask the Lord, was there another topic I could have written on (laughs) and still continue to as I teach on it? Because uh, there's just so much in the world and in our lives that shake us up, Hmm. that changes from day to day. And uh, it just continues to reinforce that the only thing that can't change is who God is and how he sees us. Mm. So I'm, I'm continually challenged, Wayne, with what I've written, and I have to say sometimes, did I really write that? Because I guess I need to, <laughs> to believe it, but uh, I've lived out every word in that book for sure. We'll talk about that more fully, but take me back to earlier in life. You mm-hmm. were full of fear mm. and anxiety. What was life like for you then? Well, before I knew the Lord, Wayne, I was full of insecurity, worthlessness, I felt very unwanted, felt very lost. I did not believe in God. You know, by the time I was in my 20s, I was uh, more of a new age uh, believer and thought that God was just an energy force, uh, that he was another word for truth, and thought that people that believed in God or the Bible were, were ignorant and uh, you know, hopeless and um, that I was way more enlightened than they were. I was more enlightened, but I was certainly miserable. <laughs> Had you always felt that way since being a child? No, I was raised Catholic. I, you know, I went to a Catholic school for 12 years, so I, you know, I believed in God. Uh, it's just that I had so many um, holes in my heart, Wayne, hmm. that um, just directed my, controlled my life, you know, that impacted how I felt about myself, my worth, uh, relationships with men. I just um, would... Um, feel only wanted if I could get someone attracted to me, you know, felt only worth that way and just uh, continued to be attracted to destructive relationships. It just reinforced that I deserved to be rejected. Mm-hmm. In my career, trying to find something that my heart was into, I could not find anything and always felt like I was the odd one out, you know, like I just wasn't really um, meant to be anywhere. Even you know, growing so that, up in your family, you felt oh, that yeah, way? Oh, yeah, in my family. I was the youngest of seven and just received messages Growing up, like we all do, but mine were that I don't have a voice, that I'm not important, that I um, bring ruin, that the best thing for me to do is just to be invisible. And um, and those messages that we get growing up, they really impact and start controlling us our, our whole lives. And they really impact how we see God. Because if we think that we're worthless and that we don't have a voice and that we're not valuable, we're going to think that God sees us the same way. Hmm. 
So you had these feelings of uh, that I that I'm not worth much, mm-hmm. and but how did that manifest itself in your life? Uh, it can go one of a couple different ways. How did it work out in your life? Yeah, well, with me, I was always trying to prove that I did have worth. You know, I, I um, went and uh, went graduated from college, got my MBA. You know, if I do this, if I do this, then I'll have worth. You know, if I have an MBA, then I'll have worth. So you're I get trying this to job. earn it. Yeah, and mm-hmm. never worked, you know. And I would um, ended up in a situation at work where, um, believe it or not, I was in a conference room with uh, all men uh, who are much older. I was only in my 20s. And I was literally speechless. You know, I, had, I was supposed to be leading a meeting that was like a five-hour meeting. I was supposed to be facilitating it. And I couldn't say a word. And I had been through therapy for years, and so I understood in my head what was going on. I understood all my issues and my dysfunctions and all that, um, but uh, head knowledge is not the same as having your heart healed. So you were having success in business to be in that room, but you didn't feel like it was the real you. Well, I couldn't even speak. I mean, I felt so insecure. Like, I didn't have any, like, what could I have to say? That's a crisis moment. Yeah, and in fact, that night, because it had been such a long, and by that time I was 28, and I had been in a lot of therapy, and and I'd been trying all these different careers. And at the same time, I was really searching for someone to love me, you know, and just was attracted continually to destructive relationships and um, was very uh, promiscuous, you know, because I thought that was the way of getting worth, was getting Mm. someone attracted to me in a physical way and and just reinforced that rejection. So a combination of feeling hopeless that I'd ever be able to break free of that worthlessness and never find work that I was meant for and ever find a man really to love me um, led me to want to kill myself one night in my ho- not hotel. It was the apartment in Seal Beach, California. Actually. I got that desperate for you. Yes, yes. But God, what yes, ha- what happened, yes. Jeannie? Well, I um, uh, to rewind a little bit. About three months prior to that, because uh, this is actually when I um, got to that point was in March of 1989. But the Christmas Eve, right before that, a friend uh, invited me to church at Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, and um, I had. <laughs> growing up Catholic, but I hadn't been to church for a long, long time. And I went because I liked Christmas carols. And I thought, well, I, I like Christmas carols. <laughs> At least we'll get to sing. <laughs> At least I get to sing. And they did have Christmas carols. And I remember uh, Pastor Chuck Smith uh, just said some things that really impacted my heart. So the Holy Spirit was you know, working on my heart a little bit at a time. There was a, a friend who I worked with at the time, and we were hired for this position, didn't have anything to do for six months. Now, when does that ever happen? <laughs> And he was a believer, and we would debate about God literally for six months. So I'd been in that relationship and debating about God. And I'd been to a few uh, things with him at church, um, but always in a debating kind of mode. I had started listening to Christian radio at that time, just kind of going, well, how um, could—I remember listening to Christian psychology, and I thought, well, how could they put psychological principles that are true with the Bible that's just, you know, (laughs) so— just unenlightened and for stupid people, you know, so I was intrigued more than anything. But, but when I got to that night when I wanted to kill myself, though, I said, God, if you're real, take control of my life because I don't want it anymore. That's a heart cry. And he did. Yeah. He took control of my How life. How did you know? Well, actually, I felt his presence. The room lit up with white light. Mm. I felt his, um, his spirit just come upon me. I never felt that in my life. And his peace and presence and strength. And um, and the next day I went to work and I was literally weighing a different person. I literally went from death to life. And ended up having this confidence and boldness and love and um, turned into like a little evangelist at work. You know, I just wanted to... And all of a sudden it was like, why doesn't everybody know this? You know, yeah. It was just the light 
went on. I mean, the light came upon me, the light went on. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, what did you do with it once you became a Christian and went back into the workplace, into the you know yeah. corporate world? And, well, I and started you were, to see myself again, very successful that when I you started were doing. to see myself as um, a child of God, as a temple of the Holy Spirit. I had a completely different new identity. I just soaked up. Um, I was living in Southern California. I was single. Went to Bible studies every single night. You know, there, there's so many churches there, and I went to listen to Christian radio from the time I woke up until I went to bed. You know, so I just took in every single um, bit of teaching. That so I you had possibly. a hunger for the Word. Oh, yeah. And I wanted to be in ministry immediately. Did you? I did. Well, because I had been searching, you know, for 28 years for uh, what was my purpose in life. You know, why was I created? What... What I I never wanted to just do a job just to get a paycheck. You know, I wanted to do something that I believed in, that my heart was really into, that I was created for, and I couldn't find that. And so when I found God, or He found me, and He He was looking for me for a long time, He was um, drawing me to Him. But um, I wanted to be in ministry immediately, and and I really did. God opened up doors um, to work at that time with uh, Nancy Missler, who was uh-huh. uh, a retreat teacher at the time through Calvary yeah. Chapel, and I started helping her about six months after that, really. Okay. Um, but that ministry door didn't open fully for you for no, a while, no, no, did no, it? No, 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 no. It was about 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> so why? It's a Moses experience. Why do you think God prepared you for, or maybe I'm answering my own question, but he was obviously yes, preparing you yes. during those 20 years. Well, when one thing is that, especially being you know an MBA and a career person, is that my initial perception of ministry, I think, was I found the career I've been looking for, and it's not a career. Hmm. And uh, so God had to teach, un- unlearn me a lot of things that, um, and it's not through my strength, sure, but to allow his spirit to take over and to see it as a way of partnering with him for his purposes. Yeah. But then yeah. a turn came. God began to open doors for ministry mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did. Uh he did in Chicago when I was living in Chicago. Opened up doors to teach there, um, but then after that, I uh, got pregnant and um, had our daughter, and she had some needs that had to be focused on for about seven years. So the door would open for a while and then close, and you know, so closed for seven years, and that was very, very hard. This is almost a biblical yes. uh, account here. <laughs> seven years. <laughs> it was seven years, and um, and actually, Wayne, what happened was, and you know, God uses everything for good. I don't believe that. Um, he causes evil in our lives. Um, I don't believe that we're you know, immune to any uh, hardship, obviously, but he will turn around everything for good out of his loving character. And, um, and my daughter did have some special needs, and so she ended up going to a Jewish preschool who was able to attend to her needs. And from that, I started learning about the biblical feasts and uh, the Jewish roots of our faith. And uh, long story short, started attending a Messianic congregation, and that has really become... The Jewish roots has become one of the core pieces of my ministry that would have never been there if um, I wouldn't have gone through that experience with my daughter. And so it was really after that time and when I started um, teaching at a Messianic congregation and integrating the stronghold material I had written back in Chicago uh, when I was at um, Harvest Bible Chapel to um, uh, integrate that with the Messianic uh, Torah teachings. We'll learn more about Jeannie Nigro's story and her book, Unshaken, coming up today on First Person. This is Ed Cannon, president of the Far East Broadcasting Company. FEBC partners with First Person to bring these interviews to you each week because we never tire of hearing how God moves on the hearts of people to accomplish His purpose, whether in the hard-to-reach places of the world or right here at home. 
we serve a living God who leads men and women to do great things for Him. Learn more about FEBC at firstpersoninterview.com. Click on the FEBC banner. My guest is Jeannie Nigro. Jeannie is the author of the new book just being released mm-hmm. right now, as a yeah, matter absolutely. of fact. It's called Unshaken, Standing Strong in Uncertain Times. We've uh, talked about your own story mm-hmm. and the strongholds that held you back from coming to the Lord in the first place. Right. And I would describe those as uh, fear and anxiety. And how would you describe them? I would describe strongholds as, yes, fear and anxiety would be a symptom, but as really being weighing the lies that we believe about ourselves and about God. So I have uh, many strongholds. I think that's why God called me to teach on them because I never run out of examples <laughs> when I teach. But uh, things like I'm not wanted, I'm bad, I deserve to be rejected, I have to hold all things together, I'm on my own, um, or about God that he expects me to be perfect, He um, he's mad at me, he's disappointed in me, he's um, waiting for me to figure it out. You know, there's many things that we don't even really, if someone asks you, is God with you? Of course God's with me. The Bible says he's with me. But yet, if we really believed that he was always with us, would we ever fear? Would we ever stress? And so I, I teach often and say often that if next time you're stressed or fearful, ask God to show you what lie are you believing about him. Those strongholds really are many times obstacles to people coming to faith. Oh, yes. And we know it's the spirit that draws us, but at mm-hmm. the same time, we have to deal with those strongholds. Doesn't Paul say that our our um, our weapons mm-hmm. uh, are not of the flesh? There are there are spiritual Absolutely. weapons that we have to fight those strongholds. So Absolutely, very interesting that you, that you develop that in your book. Absolutely, because you know, <laughs> Wayne, like everything else that I've taught, it's because I've lived it. And the reason I wrote Unshaken was because I had an experience of incredible fear about the end times and became literally one night paralyzed by fear and thought, you know, why should I even go on? Why should I even have my daughter ever leave the house? Mm. You know, um, if this is going to happen, if all these bad things are going to happen, let's just, you know, bunker down and wait till Jesus comes back. And, um, just felt, why should I even teach? You know, what does it matter? This is set in stone. It's going to happen. And, 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 uh, and I was so much fear and I had just been teaching on fear that weekend. So it tells you that uh, it can happen to anyone. And it was from what God showed me through that experience that was the catalyst for writing Unshaken. You mentioned uh, earlier about the, the Jewish roots of our faith yes. and how that fascinates mm-hmm. you. You spend a lot of time in the Old Testament, don't mm-hmm. you? I, I think a it. lot of people read it and enjoy the stories, yeah. but they don't really see the connection to how oh. we live today. You, 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 my, see that's, yes. uh, you think that's wrong. Well, one of my passions, actually, Wayne, and don't look at me strange, is the book of Leviticus. <laughs> and I think that Leviticus is just um, amazing. And it has brought such healing to my heart of strongholds. And so that's one of my passions, is taking things that seem um, irrelevant to today, that might seem outdated, you know, like the temple and the temple practices and what the priests did. And, well, give me an example. And uh, Well, for example... Oh my goodness! For example, uh, Yom Kippur, for example, and that's the you know the one day that the high priest could go into the holy of holies. Well, I love studying even from uh, Jewish texts. You know, what did the high priest do when he went in there? And he would have to do these um, incredible things, like transfer incense from one um, container to the next without using his hands. So he'd have to put things in his mouth, and 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 but he wasn't able to drop one grain of sand or of incense, and. Um, 
and I think, oh my gosh, he must practice for that all year. No wonder he could only go in one time a year. <laughs> but but with that, with everything in Leviticus, what does that tell you about who God is? Well, he's he's perfect and he demands perfection. Well, yet Hebrews tells us that we can go into the Holy of Holies at any time. Yeah. So then what does that tell you about how he sees you? Well, he sees you as perfect. And so for someone who grew up feeling like they were something wrong with them, I was so quiet. I never spoke a word, Wayne, growing up, you know, but then I always thought I had this disease called shyness. And people would say, you're so shy. Um, so I always thought something was wrong with me. So, you know, to, to have that healing that God sees you as perfect. So the next time I meet someone new or, you know, if you go to a party or a social thing and you feel like uh, intimidated, picture yourself in the Holy of Holies, mm. you know, and how God sees you. And that brings healing. And I love teaching Passover Seders because there's just so much in those that bring healing. I love to um, weave so much of my strongholds teaching into the Seder. Um, it was the cup of acceptance, how God sees you as um, he is beautiful, even in your weakness. And there's the cup of uh, redemption and the cup of deliverance and, and that he wants to carry your burdens, that you don't have to hold everybody together. You this know, so is so fascinating. so much that you can weave in. It really is fascinating because we, we view that as ritualistic. Mm. You view it as healing, healing and even prophetically, right? Mm-hmm. Because as I understand the biblical feasts, some have been fulfilled and some haven't. Right. And that's why I included a whole chapter on them in Unshaken because they, one, you know, they're a special time of appointment with God. And when we want to grow in intimacy with God, we have to connect with what's on his heart. And he obviously has a passion for the, the feasts. He designed them. And so when we learn about them and we connect with them, we grow in intimacy with him. But also it gives us such... We've got to look for anchors right now, Wayne, because there's so much that's changing. We've got to look at what do we know when there's so much we don't know. And one of the things we know is that Jesus fulfilled the, f- the first three feasts, the spring feasts of uh, Passover, first fruits, and Shavuot, and his first coming. And he fulfilled them perfectly, I mean, to the day, to the minute, to the second. And, and you go and into some under- detail oh, on yes. these, yeah. And he will fulfill the fall feasts just as perfectly, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot, when he comes again. And so every year in Rosh Hashanah's um, this month, October, and, and Yom Kippur and Sukkot, we know that when he comes back, he will fulfill this perfectly. And it just gives us that anchor, like, yes, this is something we know. The world's crazy, but yet I know that Jesus is coming back and he's going to fulfill these feasts perfectly. And then also, we know that we're going to be celebrating the feast with Jesus in the millennium when we rule and reign with him. So I often teach, well, if no other reason, celebrate the feast now because don't you want to know what you're going to be doing with Jesus? You don't want to be standing, you know, against the wall going, I don't know what they're doing. I want to join in with him and I want to practice now for my future. His heart is so passionate toward the feast that Zechariah tells us that those nations in the millennium who do not celebrate, for example, the Feast of Tabernacles will experience plagues and uh, no rain. And, and so he's, he's passionate. He's serious about the feast. Jeannie, someone's listening, and they're at the point that you were once at. Mm. Even though they're listening, as you once did, yes. to Christian Radio, uh-huh. and hearing you talk about that, and as you describe what you felt like, they perhaps can identify with some of those feelings. Can you talk to that person and just sort of counsel them as to what you have found in the Lord and what they can find in Him? Mm. I would just say to anyone who is listening, who is feeling as desperate and hopeless as I was, that um, that God loves you more than you could ever imagine. And I think it's hard because when we have not experienced, most of us have not experienced that kind of love 
on our lives here on earth. And so it's hard for us to fathom someone who can love us no matter what and who sees you as beautiful even when you're weak and doesn't expect you to be perfect and loves you. I, I look at his love, Wayne, like fire. Like nothing can stand in the way of fire. It mm. just keeps coming. Mm. And that's how his love is toward you. It just keeps coming toward you no matter what you do or don't do. That's what I was just thinking. It, you know, we cannot uh, separate ourselves Right. And he will not separate himself from us. But nothing can um, yeah. and can stop his love from coming toward you. And so I would just ask you to, um, he's so faithful. You know, anything you ask him, he will answer. And so if you're feeling desperate, I would ask God to show you that, show me that you're real, God. Just show me that you exist, that you're real, and he will. You just have to ask him. And no matter what I ask him, because even now, you know, there's days that I feel like, oh, where are you, God? You know, I don't feel your presence. Or <laughs> sure. um, how is this situation ever going to be righted? And, but when I ask him, he is always answers. He always answers. And, uh, and I think sometimes, Wayne, that we believe a lie that he's distant or that he doesn't answer. And, and the reason that we feel he's distant is because we're believing a lie about him that we need to confess. When we talk about spiritual weapons of warfare, confessing these things as sin is one of the spiritual weapons of warfare. You said that at one time, the thought of Christ's return brought fear mm-hmm. to your life. What do you think about that now? I cannot wait because, well, first of all, I've asked for a place in the temple. I love teaching Wayne on the Millennial Temple. It's another <laughs> I didn't know we could ask for that. <laughs> and so I've already got my spot in the temple. I don't care if I'm a greeter or gatekeeper or whatever, but I love okay, we'll look for the you Millennial there. Temple. You can come visit me there. I'll give you a tour. Um, but it's exciting. And that's um, one of, I think, the last chapter of my book is called The Action Plan because I look at what's God's heart for the millennium and then what can we do now to, um, to connect with his heart and to... Um, because uh, what we do now matters in the millennium. And it's an exciting time. I mean, we're going to rule and reign with Jesus over nations. And that is exciting. And it's a time when everything is finally going to be righted. You know, so we could watch the news now and the elections and think like, oh, everything is just so messed up and crooked. Well, you know what? We're not living in the millennium. You know, <laughs> But then Jesus will rule everything in righteousness and we'll be ruling over nations with him. And finally, everything will be righted and everything will be healed and we'll be restoring the earth back to the way it was designed to be. And so I can't wait. It's it's a very exciting um, future. And that's one of the things that we need to keep in mind to stay unshaken. We need to have that, not um, a a nebulous picture like, oh, I'm going to be floating on a cloud. That sounds really boring. You know, no, we're going to be ruling and reigning with Jesus. And uh, finally, we'll have the perfect boss, you know, (laughs) who is... uh, who wants to actually share his authority with us. You know, that's someone who is a control freak, power hungry, or a, a ruler that we know of on this earth, but someone who actually, we have a God who wants to share his authority and his power with us and wants us to rule and reign with him. I mean, that's just incredible. Our first person guest today has been Jeannie Nigro, author of the new book, Unshaken, Standing Strong in Uncertain Times. The book is being released in just a couple of days, and you'll find links to it at our website, firstpersoninterview.com. Jeannie is also a speaker, often addressing churches and Bible studies. Learn more at firstpersoninterview.com. You'll also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. It's always good to read your comments. This program is made possible by the Far East Broadcasting Company, a broadcast ministry reaching millions of people with the message of the gospel and the teaching of God's word, always in the local language. Learn more at firstpersoninterview.com. Next week, our guest will be Erin Bathia, the actress from Fireproof. 
Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us next time for First Person. First Person.